All right, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Strategy Inside Everything. Uh, this is going to be a big show. We have a very, very special guest here today joining us from Chicago. Are you in Chicago right now, Ian? I am in, in uh, Chicago where winter is settling into the air and into my bones. Oh, well, I'm, I'm jealous because it's 85 here in Phoenix, so I'm sorry that I'm, I'm not experiencing some uh, foliage. <laughs> But I do have Ian Sohn, who is the uh, managing director at Sapient Razorfish in Chicago. How you doing today, my man? I'm great. How you doing? Doing really well. Ian and I go back a couple of years throughout the Twitters, uh, and we've not met in person, although I was just in Chicago doing a strategy session in September, and I totally failed to uh, ping you and let you know I was coming. I take that personally, actually. Yeah. That hurt, <laughs> I did that hurts as my, a personal... That hurts my feelings. It was meant as a personal affront, so thank you for taking it as such. Yeah, sorry. We had a lot going on that day. Um, but we have a cool show, and we have a really interesting topic. So uh, for those of you listening, you know that we always kind of talk about things. The whole point of the show is to talk about things outside of marketing strategy because marketing strategy can get kind of dull. Uh, and so Ian brought up a really, really interesting topic that to me personally is exciting because I'm kind of engaging in it right now. And uh we're going to dive into that. But first, Ian, tell them a little bit about uh, who you are, where you've been, and, and what you've done, and then we'll dive into the uh, to the topic for the day. Yeah, thank you for having me. So like you said, I'm the uh, managing director of Sapient Razorfish here in Chicago. I run the Chicago office. Uh, I've been in the agency business for about 11 years. I was at Ogilvy & Mather for about eight years. Uh, and before that, I lived in New York, and I was on the client side. I worked for Nokia and for Sony. And uh, I'm a Chicago native, uh, but I lived in New York for, gosh, almost 11 years. And I've been back here for almost the exact same amount of time. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And do you, uh, do, what do you think in the New York versus Chicago rivalry? How do you, how do you rank the cities? So what I've always, what I've always said, and, and I really genuinely once in a while try to figure out if I stole this from somebody or if I made it up myself, uh, but I've decided to appropriate it for myself. I think... New York is the greatest city in the world, and I think Chicago is the greatest American city. So I don't even think they play in the same kind of sandlot, and I think they are both wonderful. I consider them both to be home. Oh, yeah. I think that's, that's a good way to look at it. I, they're, they're, I think most cities are really hard to compare, yeah. especially New York is it's really its own thing. It has its own gravity. Uh, and then, and then Chicago is a different thing. Uh, completely different, and the vibes are completely different. To, to compare them is, is nearly impossible. Even just geographically, they're just laid out so differently. It's a, it's a totally different feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, let's get into the into the topic today. We're going to so when I pinged you to uh, to, to uh, join me on the show, you brought up this really cool topic. Uh, it, why don't you give them an overview of it, and then I'll I'll dive in and start uh, bugging you with questions. Yeah. So um, you 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 reached out to me about being on the pod, and and I listened to a few episodes, and I thought to myself, okay, well, what what could we talk about that might be a little different? Um, uh, from just having a conversation about marketing strategy, which, like you said, has kind of been beaten to death. And, and I uh, recently completed my second marathon, and, and we'll get into the differences between my first and second. And I thought um, it could be a really interesting lens through which we could talk about and think about strategy, because there is a lot of strategy involved in running or competing in any kind of competitive sport. And so I brought it up to you, and 
And I think at first you you were kind of like, okay, that's interesting. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work. And then I thought about it, and we exchanged some notes. And um, and and I think it, it hopefully we'll have a great conversation about it. Oh, we we we're definitely it's on. You can't stop Good. it now. All right. So uh, the reason I I did engage is uh, I I know you've run a couple of marathons. Mm-hmm. You've run two. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And are you still running? So I haven't run. Uh, the Chicago Marathon was uh, October 8th or 9th. I have not run in the last uh, three weeks. And you are lazy. Yeah, and um, truthfully, I, I have been meaning to for the last week or so, and I literally just cannot motivate myself to do it. It's not, it's not that I'm dreading it. It's that I just have no kind of clear motivation, which is actually something that is very typical me. It's like if I'm not shooting for something, I have a hard time motivating for it. So it's almost like I have to sign up for another race in order to get off the couch and go for a run. Well, this is this was not in the notes that you gave me, but um, that's really a critical part and a strategic part is I, I just, I did a, uh, I don't do marathons because I'm l- too lazy and I don't have the time for the full-on training. I, I don't know how you do it. You're a, you're a real man. <laughs> um, but I did a half marathon in August and then I didn't run for two or three weeks, and I, I was in the same place you were. And I said, you know what I have to do? I have to schedule another race. So I found a race in January, and I scheduled it. And the next Monday, I was up and running, and I had a goal, something to work towards. So I think that is part of it. I think that it's definitely part of it. It's, it's having a goal. It's having motivation. And I, I also think, and, and we can talk about this as much as you want it, it, throughout the conversation, uh, it's, it's establishing that goal, uh, but then also within that um, – for me, it really helps to then be really specific about what my objective is. So in the case of, of a race, it's how fast I'm, uh, I'm going to run or how far I'm going to run or whatever. Because then it not only gets me off the couch, but it helps me kind of calibrate the level of effort I'm going to put into into doing it, you know? Well, yeah, and level of effort. So again, this does tie back to strategy. Mm-hmm. Level of effort, knowing how much work it is. Uh, when you're doing a half, you run, the most you run in a week is, I don't know, 25, 30 sure, miles. Sure. Um, and you can do more if you're, a, if you're a wild person. But if you're just doing a basic training regimen, mm-hmm. if you're doing the marathon, where do you peak at, at mileage? So this is going to tell you a lot about me in that I truthfully have no idea. I, 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 <laughs> I, and, I, and that is not, I'm not saying that for a fact. I am not saying that to be flip. I don't know. Now, if you, now if I sat here and did the math in my head, I'd say it's somewhere I don't know in the you know thirty-ish mile range, depending on where you are in the in the training schedule. But that's kind of part of who I am and how I operate is that I don't I don't know that to be exact. What I can tell you is um, during marathon training, I know from week to week how I'm supposed to feel, but I right. but I can't ever really tell you exactly where I'm at from a mileage perspective or from anything kind of any sort of really hard metric. We'll get into, get into uh, how you trained for the first marathon and kind of tell that story. It's really, it's interesting. Story. Yeah. So uh, my first marathon was in Chicago in 2015. Um, and I will date myself. So I was 43 years old uh, when I ran that marathon. So, I, and, and I was not a runner uh, prior to that. I mean, I was fit and, you know, relatively healthy, but um, there was just something about running that seemed, interesting to me and uh, I like to do things alone and it seemed easy and I didn't need to book any time or a tennis court or anything so I just started running and um, I actually kind of on a whim uh, ran a half marathon in the spring before the uh, the marathon in 2015 
And I did shockingly well for me, you know, and again, for my age, I think I, I think I ran 802s or 803s. Uh, those are my splits. I don't, I don't know what that time translates to. And I thought, all right, well, I'm going to see if I can give this marathon thing a go. And I signed up and, um, and then fast forward to 18 weeks or however long the, the training schedule is. And I ran the, the marathon in, in October of 2015 and I, I did really well, you know, <laughs> just, I, I, I can't really explain it. Um, uh, but I, I put some thought into it, going into it and, and, um, everything just turned out great. I, I avoided injuries and, um, I'm happy to tell you kind of what my, my thinking was. Yeah. So did you, did you set goals for it as you went or did it, did you just set a goal of finishing or did you set a goal for a time? So, wanted to re- so no, I, I, I did set a goal. I did set a goal. Um, finishing to me wasn't enough. I, I knew I could finish a, a marathon. I, if, if nothing more than kind of speed walking through it. So I, I knew that if I was going to be motivated to do it, I had to shoot for more than just finishing. And uh, again, I didn't know anything about marathons, nothing, zero. And so four hours was a number that I just felt like I had heard several times kind of throughout my life. Like, oh, so-and-so uh, came in under four hours. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to try to come in under four hours. I didn't even know what that meant or, or what, how that would feel. And as I started training, it became clear to me that it was real, like that I could come in under four hours. And I thought, okay, that's cool. And then about a month, two, I can't really remember, you know, now, this is a couple of years ago, I kind of right. very secretly said to myself, and I would never admit this out loud, like, I, I think I can do way better than four hours. Uh, but I still kind of kept my expectations, you know, lower expectations. And I thought, well, if I could come in at 345, that'd be 15 minutes better than my goal. Uh, and again, four hours was an arbitrary goal. And, um, and that's no, if you're, if you're not a runner and you're not, you know, and it just sounds like, well, 15 minutes is no big deal. That's, that's more than half a minute off each mile. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big jump. It is. It is a big jump. I didn't know it at the time, but now, now that I've been through it a couple of times, it, it is a big jump. And so I got to race day and I had this, um, I had this little, um, chart that I taped around my wrist, which which gave me my splits for every mile um, if I was shooting for a 345. So I could look, you know, when I got to mile 10, I could look at how, how long it had been, and I would know if I was above or below pace. And I realized about halfway through the race that I was, I was blowing through my pace. And um, I ended up finishing that race uh, at 331. So either way you look at it, whether you look at the four hour mark as my original goal or a 345 on race day, I, I, I performed uh, really well against that goal. But, but I think the key was that I, I had a goal that I was sh- there was something I was shooting for and therefore um, there was a purpose to what I was doing for me. Right. That's really interesting. And so did you, so it sounds like the way you train, though, you weren't working towards a pace or you weren't working towards really tracking. I didn't. Um, yeah, I, I, I um, so I tried. <clears throat> the one thing that I was determined to do when I got, when I kind of committed myself to, to running was uh, not that I was ever going to enjoy it in the way that you hear runners talk about enjoying running. I, I still don't. I don't, I don't get that same kind of high that I, that I 
am so jealous of that I hear about. But I was, <laughs> but what I was determined to do was to not let it rule my life for for three months. And by that I mean, you know, uh, I I work. I have a full time job. I'm a single dad. I have two kids. Um, I can be kind of lazy sometimes. You know, I didn't I didn't want it to be the singular focus of my life for two or three months. Um, I wanted to, to, to try and to put effort into it, and I wanted to do well, but I, I wanted to also um, be a little mellow about it and not get obsessed with the seconds and the, and the, oh, and the splits and the how many calories and the recovery and the stretching and the massages and the this and the that. I, I saw a lot of people throughout my life who, who trained for marathons, and, it, and to me it felt like some of them were more obsessed with the tracking of it all and the, the, the minutia of it all than actually just going out and, and running hard and doing as well as they could. And so I, I was determined not to, to try to not get in the weeds on a day-to-day basis. And don't you think that's, you know, just translating that directly to the workplace? Yep. Don't you think there's people who get caught up in the the ritual of the work we do and let that get in the way of the end goal of like no we want to make this killer product for our client and but I'm going to I'm going to mess it up because I'm so focused on the the ritual or getting my time entered the right way or f- you know filling out this form or having this proper meeting yeah that, 100% I remember when I first um, joined the agency world and I had a client who would say all the time you know, I don't want the team confusing motion with progress. And, you know, I knew exactly what he meant, right? Like, it, it doesn't, there's, there's not much value in everybody kind of running around focusing on the wrong stuff if you're not moving the ball down the field. And so um, I think about that at work all the time. You know, when somebody tells me or when I think to myself or I tell a client, well, we've been really busy on this. I stop myself and I go, well, that doesn't matter if I've been busy on it. What have we, right. what have we done, right? right? What kind of demonstrable progress has, have, have we made? And, and, it, and it completely, I totally called on that uh, during, during training. It was, it was, well, I ran X number of miles a week and, you know, my, um, my Nike app tells me this and this and I ran uphill and downhill and all these things and I thought, okay, but... I kept coming back to okay, but how did how did it feel this week? Like, did I feel better? Did I feel stronger? Did I feel faster? Did I feel better equipped to run the race? And so I just kept thinking, okay, all those metrics are great, but does it add up to me feeling like I'm going to have a better race? And and if I was doing things that that didn't seem like they were going to contribute to a better race, I stopped doing them. Whether it was what I was eating, or um, the time of day that I was running, or um, focusing on pace or, or even sometimes just deciding, you know, the, the training program says I need to go out and run eight miles today, but, but I don't feel like that's going to get me anywhere because I feel like rest would be more important today. And so just really only doing things that I felt like were going to, to get me further down the path of, of having a good race. Yeah, totally. But don't confuse the ritual with the result. 100%. I mean, you're looking towards the, and so it all, it, it all starts with the goal. Yep. You set a goal, there's yep. a race day, you didn't schedule it, but you signed up, so you're doing it. That's right. 
And then everything else is like, how am I going to make sure that me personally, mm-hmm. and if you're, if you're not a runner, go Google uh, marathon training schedule. You'll find the first result will be the Hal Higdon That's right. uh, That's training. Everybody knows the Higdon right. method. Right. And it's like a spreadsheet of today you're going to run two and a half miles. Tomorrow you're going to run three yeah. miles. The next day, you don't have to do that. No, you know, no, it's, no. Yeah. it's nice to have a target, but yeah. honestly it's just a it's just a framework more than anything else yeah i think i think it also speaks to another you know another thing when we look at our professional lives it's this um this ability to kind of look at yourself or look at your team and say okay let's be really honest about what we're good at uh and what we're not good at and then kind of course correcting or changing the way you go about doing something to capitalize on your strengths or to kind of um, mitigate your weaknesses. And I, 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 again, I look at my teams at work all the time and I think, I think okay, I'm, I'm not gonna force this person, I'm not gonna continue to force this person to try to do something that they're just not comfortable doing or that they may just not have an aptitude for doing. Instead, I'm gonna capitalize on other strengths that they have. Um, and, and that's how we're gonna get the most out of, out of this team. And, and it's, that's the way I looked at myself when, when I was training. I was like, okay, there's just some things I'm not, I'm not good at. And so I'm not gonna try to force myself to do them because A, I'm not gonna have fun, and B, I'm gonna just start resenting this whole thing. And I think that's gonna impact my performance at the end of the day. Yeah, and so that, that ties directly into strategy and the, the kind of work that we do where we're guiding clients and you ever have that client, and this is almost 50% of the time, where their client, their product is substandard or it's it's not the best, but they're just convinced that cheerleading it is going to make it the best or make make you produce messaging that's going to say it's the best or a strategy that's like, no, we're going to say it's the best. When if we could all just be honest with ourselves and say, look, we're twice as much money as the competitor and we have to figure out a way to justify that, Um we have to own that and make that a strategic uh, strong point to get over that barrier versus just powering through with the playbook that we've been given because that's the way we do it. Yeah, the, uh, we the, the to, other time I hear that is, uh, have you ever been um, involved in a brief where it's the brand's like 10th anniversary or 50th anniversary? And it's like, no, more often than not, nobody really cares that it's, an anniv- it's your anniversary. Like, let's not, right. let's figure something else, let's figure out something else to talk about. But, but that reminds me what you're, what you're saying about, you know, going head on at what your strengths and weaknesses are or what you have to offer. It reminds me when I, uh, when I uh, first joined the agency world was when I moved back from New York to Chicago and I'd always been on the client side. And um, the first few interviews I had at agencies, the question I, I got from everyone, it, it really threw me off. I wasn't expecting it was, well, um, and I had great client-side marketing experience. And the question was, well, you've never worked at an agency. What makes you think that you would, you would be able to kind of hack it at an agency? And I, I remember during my first few interviews, I really kind of fumbled through it and tried to kind of talk around it. And then finally, what I learned, the best answer was, and, and ultimately worked for me, was when somebody said, well, you've never worked at an agency. Don't you think that's a, that's a, a detriment? I would just say, you know what, you are 100% right. I have never worked at an agency. And here are the five reasons why I think that's actually really important to, to your agency. Right. I, just yeah. went, I just went right at it. Not only were my points valid, I think, but also it, it was very disarming. It completely, yeah. and it changed the tone of the conversation in my favor, I think. So, 
Yeah, and that's that's a really clear example of people putting the ritual before the result where they're you're thinking like, well, this person has a different way they want to do it. Why are they trying to do it? We have someone here that came from the uh, digital product world that's now an account person, and they want to do everything differently. Uh-huh. And so I hear the account team coming in here and saying, well, he doesn't want to do it this way. And it's like, well, why don't you see how his way works? Because maybe it's more efficient or maybe it's better. or Maybe he'll get to better answers. Like, let's let's try it. Yeah, I agree 100%. A hundred percent. There's, I, 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 I could go on. We could have a whole nother podcast about uh, my views on dogma. So I'm, I'm not a, not a big fan of, of dogma. I'm, I'm, I like to kind of see new perspectives and new ways of thinking about things. But much more of a, a pragmatist. Well, I, let's prove it because you. So you did your first race and you beat you the you beat the result you set, and then you said I'm going to do another one, which sounds like you just did uh, in October. Yeah. So I, I did my first one. Did you did you change you did you change dogma or did you stick with your plan that you had the first time? So first of all, what I did was I took a year off, um, because I didn't think I was ever going to run another one, and I remember um, sitting on the sidelines of the the marathon, the uh, you know the year I didn't do it. And feeling really pissed off that I wasn't running that day. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do another one. And um, I'm going to kind of try to approach it the same way. But uh, if you've, you know, to anybody who's listening to this, who's, who's run any kind of race, you can't help but now that you've got it, now that I've got a time that I hit, you start to become a little obsessed about, all right, how do I shave off a few seconds here or a minute there or... Um, so I thought, okay, I'm still going to go into this, not being kind of, um, a slave to the process. I still want to enjoy myself. I still want to have fun. Um, but I am not afraid to admit this time that I care more. You know, I, I, I have, now I have an expectation of myself that I'm actually really interested in, in, in hitting or exceeding. And so... Uh, I think still by marathoners' standards, I was uh, fairly uh, kind of blasé about how I went into it. But by my standards, I was I was I was more kind of focused and regimented. That's interesting. Yeah. Was there specific areas that you that you dialed in on? Yeah, there were there were there were two things. There was um, so nutrition. So I just thought I was more thoughtful about what I ate, how I ate, when I ate, um, just not only on an everyday basis, but also before long runs and after long runs and how I recovered and what I put into my body. So um, um, nutrition was a big one. And um, when it came to the runs themselves, I was more purposeful uh, about certain training runs. So uh, for example, the first time around, Every run that I went out and did, I basically ran at the same. I just ran as fast as I could, essentially, for how, whatever that <laughs> distance was. Right? <clears throat> this time, I actually was a lot more thoughtful about um, running certain runs, really slowing them down, which is a hard thing to do. Like, you know, slowing them down almost to a jog. And then running uh, certain runs at, uh, at race pace and doing a bit more kind of, bit more of an interval approach so maybe maybe on a 15 mile run doing eight miles at a super fast pace in the last seven miles at race pace so just a little bit more thoughtfulness about how I went about both eating and kind of training but but still trying not to obsess about you know about about too much of the the nitty-gritty or the details 
Yeah. But so again, going back to strategy, it was picking your one or two areas that you wanted to focus on and saying, this is, this is where I'm going to concentrate because I can't do everything. That's that's exactly right. And so I have this, I have a colleague that I work with who, uh, you know, this is, this is a, a, a rephrasing of something that's been said a million times, but I always like how he says it so simple. He says, you know, and he's a strategist. He said, strategy is, is just prioritizing a series of choices to achieve a desired outcome. And so I had a series of choices in, you know, in my life. And it was everything related to running, but it was also work and parenting and watching baseball in the summer. And, and so I um, prioritized my choices to give me the outcome that I you know, I desired, which was, you know, somewhere right around where I came in the first marathon at 331. A real stretch would have been 325, which would have qualified me for uh, the Boston Marathon. I probably wouldn't have run it, but it was something to shoot for. I don't know if you qualify. Yeah, I think you. I think yeah, you'd have to run it. Yeah. I would force you to. There'd be there'd be runners all over the country. That'd be. Well, we can talk on. about why. We can talk yeah. about one of the reasons why I didn't. But um, it's uh, unfortunately it's something that I don't have to uh, worry about this year. Yeah. yeah. What's that well, reason? The reason is um, I uh, about uh, about three and a half weeks before the marathon on a on a run, uh, I hadn't yet kind of peaked on my training runs, so I still had a I think a twenty miler to do or a twenty two miler. Uh, I was on oh, a yeah, that twenty two miles. On, so. oh, the worst. Uh, I was just on a, a midweek kind of throwaway run, and I was uh, pretty close to finishing up. I was about a half a mile from home. And I slipped on a patch of gravel, and I took a really, really bad fall. Uh, and I landed, oh. <laughs> landed on my face, and I landed on my ribs, and worst of all, I broke the fall with my right hand, and I, I oh. ended up uh, breaking a bone in my hand in two different places. Um, and uh, had to subsequently had to have surgery about two weeks after that. Um, and I'm still, I'm actually sitting here. Um, I have my uh, my splint is awesome. I'm sitting here looking at my gnarly scar on my hand, um, and it's still swollen. Um, but yeah, oh, shit, I didn't, yeah. I didn't realize that. you ran. Oh yeah, you did tell me that you ran it with yeah, a broken arm. So broken, broken hand. hand so, um, so I had been tracking from a, a time perspective. I mean, I felt strong. I mean, I I felt stronger than I did two years earlier, and that's you know I, I had two years of age tacked on, and I still felt I felt stronger. I, I had really kind of hit my stride, and all of a sudden, I had a um, hand that was in a cast, uh, and then subsequently had you know pretty major surgery on, um, and a set of bruised ribs, which is I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Um, and I still had not peaked on my training, and I had a month to go, so um, I I literally didn't know what to do. I didn't, I mean, I didn't even know if my doctor would let me run the race, which. Did you keep running? Do you keep training or did well, you just take you know, so three took, weeks off? Uh, and... I took the better part of about three weeks off to get through kind of the, the pain of, of the broken hand um, to let the, the pain in my ribs subside a bit um, and, the, and to have the surgery. I mean, I had to recover from the surgery, which was, which was pretty gnarly. So I didn't do anything for three weeks. I mean, I didn't, I didn't lift a finger. And so, again, not, not being a runner, one of the disadvantages is that I didn't really, I didn't know how my body would react to that. Um, and so I took three weeks off. And then uh, in the kind of week before the marathon, I did a couple short training runs. I think 
the longest I did was 10 miles, uh, and it was pretty. It was pretty slow. It didn't feel very good. Um, but my doctor said, you know, you can go. You can run. Um, it's gonna. It's not gonna feel great. Just you're gonna be uncomfortable. But there's no, you're, you're not gonna hurt your hand. I have six screws and a plate in my hand. So he's like, you're not gonna. Your hand is screwed in tight. There's nothing. But you're not gonna feel great. And so I thought, you know what? I'm signed up. I don't know. Worst case scenario, I'll I'll kind of run and walk and. You know, it'll be a nice. It'll be a nice yeah, day. You'll do it. You'll yeah, do it in five hours of walking. Exactly. So I so I went out and I did it and I ran it and um, I didn't hit my my time. I I didn't hit three thirty one. I didn't hit three twenty five. I I came in at three thirty seven was my time, which which oh, wow. by the way again it was like you know trying to figure out where I was going to come in with this you know this injury. I was thinking okay, well if I I can be like. Four, four fifteen. That that probably feel good. I probably feel pretty good about that. So I, you know, I, I was I was thrilled after the race. I was actually happier after this race than I was the first one. Yeah, and it sounds like it's all just because you had it organized the way you wanted it to be before the uh, before you. That's fell. right. That that that's exactly right. And um, I, I had it organized. I had my I kind of had my act together. I I also just kind of decided I was going to take it in stride. You know, and and. I always think, I always think about. I have this this um, this file that I have that I keep for new business pitches and meetings. It's got all these quotes that we all we all use to death, right? They're all these overused quotes. But you know, there's the one, the Mike Tyson one that says, um, "Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face." You know, and it, right? Yeah, love, yeah. Or like, who knew Mike Tyson would become kind of like a sage in the marketing world? Um, I know it is a very it is a very compelling. It is, quote. and I got punched in the face big time. And so I thought about it in a, in a, after I stopped kind of licking my wounds and feeling sorry for myself, I got kind of intellectual and cerebral about it. And I thought, okay, well, I got punched in the face. So what am I going to do now? And I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to run because that hurts too much, but I'm going to rest. I'm going to continue to eat well. I'm going to kind of not feel sorry for myself. I'm going to mentally, I'm going to kind of keep preparing as if I'm running in a few weeks. And, um, yeah, and you focused on the things you could control while, even while you weren't running. hundred percent. Like. And so, it's something that that I talk to people about at work all the time. It's like, okay, well, we had a plan, and like all plans, it went to shit, right? Every, uh, you know, again, kind of the, the take on the Mike Tyson quote. I think it's Eisenhower. He said, um, "Planning is everything. Plans are nothing." Right. So, plan, plan, right. plans go, <laughs> plans go to shit. And, uh, and then you got to figure out, okay, well, how are we going to course correct, right? What's the new landscape? What's the new reality? Um, and, and we do that a lot. Uh, again, it goes back to my, my thing about not being a big believer in dogma. It's like just because we wrote a plan and we said this is what we're going to do doesn't, you know, when circumstances change, let's, let's look at how we're going to kind of course correct on that plan. So that's what I did. And it turned out, it, yeah, I was really happy with my result. Yeah. No, very cool. Um, I think think people listening, you guys should be able to make a pretty straight translation for uh, this to apply to strategy work. Uh, to me, it's it's really clear. I mean, just uh, thinking about flexibility and thinking about being, uh, I hate to use the word right. agile because I don't mean the uh, right, right. overused cascading waterfall, but just the idea that you can shift on the fly. Yeah, I also think the other punched. lessons that I, I think I'd love for people to take away, there's, there's two. One is... Um, you know, uh, here, I'll do another quote, right? Another, another sportsman, Yogi Berra. If you don't know where you're going, you don't know how to get there. And so, um, 
you know, just setting a goal. And, and, and some people say, well, we don't even know where to set the goal. It's like, well, just set it somewhere. And then you can keep kind of resetting it, you know, but, but start somewhere. Give yourself something to shoot for. I think, I think that's one thing. And I think the other thing is just being instinctual, um, trusting your gut, um, being honest with yourself about your, your, your own strengths and weaknesses, your, your client's strengths and weaknesses, your teams. Um, and so just, you know, trusting that kind of gut, I think, is, um, is something that's really important. And I think it's, you know, you know this, right? All we talk about these days are data-driven decisions and big data, et cetera. And I, and I believe in that as much as anyone. But I also believe that there are times when you just need to sit in a room and kind of look at the wall and go, okay, this is, this is what I think, this is what I'm feeling about this. I think this yeah, I totally agree. You can't just go just on numbers without having some kind of intellectual uh, right. comprehension of, of why it's happening. Yeah. Or what you, why, why is this number this exactly. way? This is really I important heard, to understand. Um, I heard you interview a planner uh, on this show. I listened to an episode. I, I don't remember what his name was. It's escaping me at the moment. And you guys had a conversation. It made me think you guys were having a conversation about uh, creative briefs. And you were talking about, like, sometimes... Yeah you know, the, the best briefs are when planners kind of hypothesize, right? And they just say, you know what, mm-hmm. this feels like it's the answer, right? And I'm going to hypothesize and we can go out and prove it or disprove it when the time is right. But hey, creative team, this is, this is where I, I think you should start exploring kind of in this area, you know, or, or, or down this path. And um, I, I believe in that quite a bit too. Yeah, we've we've seen that. I think I think yes, that was, was. maybe the John right. Burke episode right. that you're that you're yeah, referencing. Yeah, you he's just a smart dude. Uh, the, the, I like it. I'm proud the, of you, kid. One more thing. All I just, right, I well, just want because I, I, I think this is important. Oh yeah, I love it. Um, so a lot of times, I think you might have even said a lot of times. You know, I'll say, well, I ran a, I ran a marathon, and people say, oh, I could never do that. It's like, well, I gotta tell you, like I ran my first one at 43, and and like I said, I wasn't exactly like a you know beacon of fitness. Um, anybody can do it. I know it sounds so trite, but anybody really can do it. Um, because when people say I could never run a marathon, what they're saying is I could never imagine going out tomorrow and running 26.2 miles. Well, it's like, well, of course you can't. I, I can't either. Um, but can you imagine going out tomorrow and running three miles and then the next week running five and the next week running six and seven? And so um, I think I, right. I, I hope people get that because I think there's a lot of people who actually want to do it, who just feel overwhelmed by it. And if you just break it down into the smallest pieces, it's actually incredibly achievable. It really is. I, I really do think it's all about just. Yeah. No, I'm glad you. Yeah, I'm glad you added that because you can apply that to anything. Any, you know, clients come and they say, we, we currently have one and a half percent of the market, but we want 5%. God, we'll never get there. And it's like, well, right. could we get to 2%? Exactly. Could we get to 3%? So yeah. That, that's, my, that's my inspirational speech for the day. <laughs> I like it. I'm, I'm inspired. I'm going to go out and run through this wall right now. Ian, thank you so much. Hey, tell uh, them where yeah, they can, you can find, find you online. On, on Twitter at at Ian Sohn, I-A-N-S-O-H-N. Uh, it's also my website, which doesn't really have anything interesting. But if you want to read my bio, it's, it's iansohn.com. <laughs> and uh, please introduce yourself. Say hi. I would love it. Love nice. to meet you guys. Awesome. And you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Apierno. I'm also at Instill Strategy. Uh, 
please send more feedback. We'd love it. Uh, if you have an idea for a guest or a topic, send it my way. Uh, we'd love to uh, make this as interactive as we can. So uh, thanks again, Ian, for being here. It was really awesome talking to you. Awesome